Somebody asked me today whether I could say a few things about um, emotions, feelings, how to how to feel, sense, and, and hold um, emotions, difficult emotions in the body. How to be with them? I imagine how to hold them in awareness in the body. Um, First of all, I think it, it, it reminded me of um, or brought me into, into thinking about what, what, what usually what maybe brings us to the to the Buddhist teaching um, in the path of, of meditation. I cannot know, of course, how that is for um, the rest of you, uh, but I imagine for most of us, is something to do with, uh, with the awareness and interest in and relationship to uh, what the Buddha called dukkha, disease in life. And that, of course, has something to do with emotions, usually. Um, it's how we experience a lot of the, the disease, difficult feelings, emotions. And I do remember quite specifically, in, in my case, when I first came across the teachings of the Buddha, it felt like a huge relief that I... I read about this, this teaching, uh, which basically basically said that it's that's that is actually okay. It's it's all right to feel this ease in life, to not feel at home, and that can actually that that can actually be a good sign. It's not just necessarily a sign that there's something wrong with me if I'm feeling dukkha or this ease. If you remember, maybe from the dependent origination, there's this one version where it first goes to the cycle which, which explains uh, the arising of dukkha. But then in that particular version, dukkha is not the, not the end of the exposition. It, it's rather presented as a possibility for the as a cause of the factor for the rising of faith, dukkha. Because if we get in touch, we come to know about the, the Buddha's teaching, then, then dukkha you know, is, the, is the first noble truth. So it's, it's something that, is, that we are supposed to find uh, to first of all, it's, it's necessary to become conscious of, to become aware of, so that we then actually can actually start to be interested uh, in finding a way out of dukkha. And of course the whole um, set of the teaching of the Buddha was about presenting the possibility of going beyond this, this disease. Mm-hmm. So the way the Buddha presented it, well, as he said, the only thing at, at various occasions, apparently, he said the only thing that he was interested in that was teaching about was dukkha and the end of dukkha. No, and it starts with the first noble truth. There is dukkha, and then this, this dukkha, disease, uh, stress, suffering, unsatisfactoriness needs to be understood and through this understanding um, uh, of, of suffering we, we can then find we can come to, to find the causes of suffering so finding the causes of suffering we can maybe find 
uh, ways of how these causes can be removed. And if the causes for suffering are removed, then uh, suffering has no, no ground on which it can grow, which it can stand. So that would be the cessation, the end of suffering. And then the last, the fourth, fourth noble truth, then the presentation of actually a way, an organic kind of uh, holistic, if you like, way, because it encompasses all the areas of, of our life that we need to pay attention to, how we can actually bring the cessation of dukkha, this understanding that leads to the cessation of dukkha, um, how we can bring that about, how we can help for this, to, this understanding ourselves to ripen, you know, which, of course, has to be more than just an intellectual understanding, but it has to be, an, an, in the end, be a realization, so something that penetrates, you know, saturates our whole being, so that we understand how we actually contribute, how we create our own suffering, and how we can stop, do that, stop doing this. And that's, of course, very inspiring then that's, according to the Buddha, that's good news. And we, come, we can only come there, of course, through the first an acceptance and realization, yes, there is dukkha in my life. No? Um, if, if you feel, well, it doesn't apply to me, I don't think life is dukkha, life is beautiful, it's wonderful, I haven't got any problems, then the Buddha simply hasn't got anything to offer, anything to say. No? That's why the Buddha's teaching, the way, the way Buddha presented it, is not a proselytizing teaching. It doesn't, it does, he didn't feel any need. And he suggests to us that we don't need to have any need to convince anyone of this, that you know, Buddhism is good for you. You, know, you should study this so that you can realize this, this wonderful thing, those wonderful things that the Buddha's taught about. No, it's something that, that is on offer for us if you're interested. If you feel, oh, yeah, this applies to me, there's certainly stress in my life, then, well, then the Buddha said, well, I've got one approach um, in which you can actually look at this and maybe learn um, how you can actually grow beyond this um, feeling of disease. And then the interesting thing for me is that well, we'll see what, what our tendency is in, in our mind. Perhaps for many of us, I think it certainly did, did or still does often in subtle ways apply there could be a tendency that we pick it up in a way that we somehow imagine if you get this right, if you practice right, then somehow we eliminate this sense of dis-ease. And that somehow as we, we, this, we, we usually experience dis-ease, dukkha, through our emotions, what we call negative or difficult emotions, and somehow this fantasy that once I, I get it and I, and I arrive at this more... Um, upgraded spiritual version of myself, then I'm, I'm not going to have any difficult or negative emotions. So that's going to be the end of dukkha. I'm just going to be radiant and beautiful and loving and, and really, and that's kind of being truly spiritual. <laughs> and, uh, and then we try. And it, it usually doesn't work very well, does it? It works for, for a little while. And then, but this, this more difficult emotions don't seem to go away. I, I certainly believe that that's not what the Buddha meant or what the Buddha was talking about. Rather, we can also see it right the opposite way, that actually liberation becomes or, or, or along or brings us as equivalent to actually a more um, expanded capacity of, of feeling, of feeling more completely, feeling more freely. And that includes any kinds of feelings, in feelings, feelings of dis-ease and difficult uh, emotions as well. So I think a lot of what our suffering about is actually the restrictions 
the limitations that we actually impose on our feeling life. Because uh, the Buddha certainly talked of, about, when, when he used this, this term dukkha, he often was quite specific about it, he talked of different levels of dukkha. There are certain amount, amount of dukkha that is just unavoidable. If you've got a body and we've got a mind, we are alive, and we are sensitive, then of course we're going to have painful, unpleasant, and pleasant uh, feelings in our life. That's, that's, that's a given, no? both on a physical level and also on an emotional level. There are things that just don't feel very good, no? like uh, disappointment, and always going to feel disappointment. So it's not the point of the spirit, becoming spiritual doesn't mean that we're going to be enthusiastic about being disappointed. No? Um, if we don't get what we want, then that's, um, that's always that's an element of frustration. But how do we actually relate to those feelings and those emotions? Mm-hmm. I think from when we, if, if that's a given, if you're sensitive, if you're feeling body and mind, you have experiences. Experience is always going to be somewhere on some scale between uh, unpleasant and pleasant. No? Some are more come in the middle and in neutral ground. Some can be extremely unpleasant. Some can be extremely pleasant. And then there's anything that's in the middle of it. And from the very beginning of life, and we're very small and comparatively unsophisticated, we are bombarded with experiences, with sensations. And when we are very small, we haven't yet gone any, uh, you know, to the extent that we are unsophisticated, it means we haven't actually yet any resources really to, to deal with that. So in a very, very short time, very quickly, in order to actually be able to survive and to grow, uh, we have to learn, we have to come up with strategies and, and responses to somehow manage with this um, now I don't I don't remember <laughs> back to when I was you know a few months or one one years old but even the, if I remember back to maybe three or four years old you know the little bit that's in the world this is a pretty vulnerable kind of age it just seems to be life just seems to be so overwhelming you no know, when you're that small Lots of stuff and lots of things that you don't don't understand. Um, of course, even when you're 40 years old, there's still <laughs> most things in life. If you're honest, you don't understand. Is it? But we have developed obviously much more resources than when we were, you know, four years old, three years old, two years old, one year old, four months old. You know, what can you do? You're completely helpless you know, without the help of your caregivers, of your parents, or whoever it might be. You're helpless. You wouldn't be able to survive. So that is a very threatening place to be in. So not, not surprised, isn't it, that in there there should be a lot of unpleasantness, or potential unpleasantness, stress, anxiety. Um, we can notice it very quickly. A, a baby or a small infant is, is going to experience stress and it's going to express that. You know, if, if you have to, only have to leave it alone for a little while and get it out of the room, yeah, that would be very cruel. Look at it from the outside, see what happens very quickly. You know, little baby will actually show very, very extreme signs of stress because it does instinctively know that it needs protection from outside. It can't, it doesn't have the resources in itself to guarantee even its survival. No, it can't survive. So, very quickly, then we, we, we learn strategies on how to cope. So a lot of those strategies in which little by little or very quickly, but then you know, increasingly, um, we develop 
in fact our personality around what our personality is is all those kind of strategies on coping with, with stress, man managing stress and making sure that we get enough of what feels good, what feels right and trying to avoid the things that are un unpleasant and potentially threatening, even life-threatening. And that's of course very, very necessary uh, and very helpful if, if you don't do that. You know, the fact that we have done that to an, to, to an adequate degree uh, is, is proven by the fact that we are here. You know? we, have, we have survived. Um, and this, this is reasonable, as far as you know, I know the people who are present here, for a reasonable kind of mental integrity so that we can actually function in most situations fairly well. But then, lot the thing is, then a lot of those, those those strategies, which you know, become personality traits, particular styles, coping styles, you know, our personalities, which which, which we uh, operate through life, also become of maybe the ways in which we uh, restrict our, our our possibilities, because they are based, a lot of them ultimately are based on fear and on, and, and and on anxiety. They have to do with the way in how we try to control our environment, our internal environment, our external environments. And a lot of that, and as much as we identify with those, create our personality, our identity out of that is also the way how, how we limit ourselves, how we limit our possibilities. And the, limit, the, the, the amount in which we become, we are programmed, you know, conditioned. We start to just react to certain situations out of habits, you know, the strategies, schemes that we have developed, that we have learned. It's very, it seems to be from experience, certainly from my personal experience, but also for what you see around and what you can read about and study, some of psychology, it's very difficult for human beings to unlearn strategies that you have learned when you're very small. Usually what happens is like the, it's kind of, seems to be kind of the patchwork kind of psychology. We, we keep building, you know, new things on top of the things that are already there. So we become more and more complicated and complex, more and more layers of conditioning. Some of that, you know, helpful, some of that not so helpful. Later conditioning that tries to compensate maybe for things that don't work so well anymore from previous conditioning. But it's kind of layers on layers. Very, very rarely ever do we delete tapes that we have learned, you know, of conditioning that, that we have learned early on. And it also pretty quickly, pretty obvious that maybe strategies and habits that we might have developed when we were two years old, they might have been very essential and functional and working when you were two years old, but when you are 42 years old, there might not be, you know, the optimum kind of functioning anymore. You know? but, but they are there, and that's what we often notice, isn't it? And it can be quite humiliating. Partic and particularly those things sometimes come, of course, out when we are under stress. Suddenly we find, you know, these things that you find yourself like you're regressing into some behavior that feels like you are four-year-old. And that's probably what it is. You know, you just get stripped down back to some basic tape that was put in there, some conditioning, uh, when you were four years old. That is, I think, the area, if you like, the territory, or some of it, what the Buddha was talking about when he was talking about the suffering that is actually uh, sustained or created through our conditioning you know, of our personality, um, the structures, strategies that we identify with, that we hold on to out of some need to control uh, our environment, to, to keep this feeling, this idea of being self, uh, being safe, <laughs> to, to keep our sense of ourselves, our self-image protected. 
and so that has a certain it has a, it has a function um, is helpful to a certain degree but it ideally at a certain point when we grow up we also start to feel its limitations and we feel that it doesn't in the end add up it, it can it might keep us going um, in a kind of good enough way for certain for a certain amount of time but we, we know also that in the long run of course this is not going to be good enough you know, if you look at, at, at life in the bigger picture, then we know, you know, whatever we've built up, the structures, the things that we take um, refuge in, if we take refuge in our, in our personality, our character traits, our, the abilities that we've built up, all those is sooner or later is going to fall apart. No? Our body is going to die, our mind, as we know, it is going to die. So it's, it's, it's right. There should be a sense of anxiety underlying. It's a certain kind of nagging feeling that, well, all those things... Um, you know, it's like we out. You know, we we went out of harbor on this, this makeshift kind of uh, vessel that we that we feel we are good enough to uh, skillful enough to keep going and patching it up. But it's going out of harbor in the order to sink. It's not. <laughs> so then we're gonna have to. If if we if the Buddha is right and feel there's something to be actually feel safe and at ease with the whole of it, then it's something that needs to be um, beyond you know, those, those condition um, kinds of ways in which you have learned to deal with our situations, with our emotions, with the challenges of life. Uh, those habits, conditions that, that we have developed, said that, that they constitute and hold in place the limitations that we put in our possibilities, in our reality, of what we, what we could be, what life could be for us, a central aspect of it is those are actually ways in which we put limitations on feeling, on the way we feel life. Because we basically feel threatened by life. So then... If practice to me is is when if we first if we see the limitations of these of these conditionings is then if we follow the Buddhist teaching the first noble truth we see the limitations the dukkha in it then this dukkha needs to be understood so we need to understand how this works you know what those structures are that that that, that run our lives um, those personality traits character strategies what what are those limitations that we put on feeling what are those mechanisms. And why are they? Why they are there? And what do they try to protect us from? What happens if we if we manage to lift some of those limitations? What is actually underneath it? What is it that feels so threatening? How can we grow beyond those limitations, those restrictions? That is precisely where, to me, this this question this question comes in. How how do we actually learn different ways? in which we can actually be uh, with those unpleasant emotions, with, with, with feelings of dis-ease, of being threatened, without falling into the old habits of reacting to those emotions with strategies which basically trying to with which we're actually trying to defend ourselves against what we perceive to be as unpleasant or, or threatening. You know, if those are defensive structures, 
reactive structure, structures. We first of all have to need, we need to feel those defenses in ourselves, come to accept it, and then we see well, are there actually ways in we can actually which we can start to to re, to relax those, and then what is actually going to happen? The most immediate thing that probably is going to happen is that we're going to start to feel the rawness of life a bit more directly. So I think then we can come in touch uh, with the difficulty of that, with, with the perhaps feeling threatened by that or overwhelmed by that. So we get a feeling actually for why we actually put all those defenses, those restrictions on feeling, which are basically the, the underlying patterns of our personality in, 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 in place in the first place. And to me, that's why we, the, the basic practice in, in, in Buddhist meditation is, is mindfulness of the body, awareness of the body. Oh, again and again, just uh, with simple exercises, training in bringing awareness to the body. Bring our awareness, our attention back into the body, into our present experience, what does it mean? You know, into how it feels to be here right now. You know, it's it's um, emotions. Of course, they have two, maybe two components. There's a mental component, maybe mental images, thoughts, and then there's a physical component, isn't it? Emotions, feelings, felt senses. It's, that's something we feel in the body. Hmm? So that's where we can locate those emotions, feel them. And that's also where we can actually start to learn to hold them and just be with them. If you cannot ground your awareness of an emotion in the body, if you only relate to it in the mind, I think, from my experience, it's very difficult. You know, the mind very easily gets kind of charged up with the, with the energy of an emotion. You know how fickle the mind is. It just goes, it's, almost, it's like you know, a nuclear chain reaction. Once you put some uh, emotional fuel in there, it just... I mean, of course, every mind is different, but, but usually if you don't have anything that, that grounds us in the present, it just very quickly goes into its stories. You know? and if, if those stories are, have, an, have an underlying theme of, of fear, something, then, then it easily can start to feed on itself. You know? And I don't know how it is for you. Or for, for me, it's if I just stay with that, it easily just goes into negative or even catastrophic fantasies, and it, just, it, it runs away you know, with an emotion. Now, if I can stay with the emotion in the body, it, it gives a different possibility, isn't it? it? It certainly starts to set up the, the stage, as it were, for the, the, the setting, where I can just feel, oh, I can just feel. There's just, I notice there's a possibility, I can just feel the emotion in the body. And just try and incline towards just leaving it as, as that. You know, the mind is always going to be inclined to, to create a story around of it, and will create a story according to your conditioning. So it's always going to add on to it. There's an emotion, say you come up with, with anger and immediately then the mind proliferates around it. Depending on the situation, depending on your character, it might, it, it's onto it. It might feel, yes, I'm feeling angry and I'm justified, so you put righteousness on top of it, or you might feel guilty that you are angry or you might feel afraid of your anger, who knows what's going to happen next and then if you feel afraid of your anger then you're going to start to maybe repress your anger, oh calm down, calm down, calm down don't make a scene, you know, or even deny it 
And so it just makes things more and more complicated and actually gets more and more difficult to actually deal with it directly because this whole kind of personal programming, which goes back at least to all your conditioning of your, of your, of your life, you know, your past experience or what you remember from your life from this life. Who knows, maybe even past lives. You know, I don't know. Remember, like, whatever happened when you got angry as a little child? What message did you get back from your parents? You know? It's very likely that if, you're, if, this, if you haven't practiced, if this hasn't become examined, then all those things are also going to come back when you get angry now. You know? Oh, I shouldn't be, as a good Buddhist, you know, or as a good person, I shouldn't be angry. You know? Quick to something about it. Anything but the raw feeling of anger. You know? So justification or explaining it away or denying it or acting it out or, or feeling guilty or feeling embarrassed or feeling afraid and, or do something, go jogging or something just to get rid of this. No, but if you've got a, a basic attitude of trying, if some difficult emotion comes in of saying this is wrong and so I'm going to have to do anything to get rid of it, then I can never actually even start to examine it. If I can even start to examine it, I can never actually get to a point where I can understand it. Then if the Buddha is right, if I can never come to a point where I can understand it, then I can also never actually go beyond it. I'm just going to keep playing out the same pattern, trying to somehow deal with the thing, but in a way that never goes to the root of it. So it's always just going to be some form of reaction which just ultimately just makes things more complicated. No. In order to actually really deal with it in a more, in a more fruitful way, for me, the way is always to actually to, to, to become more directly in touch in a more open, undefended way into feeling actually the immediacy of the emotion that comes up, you know, the, the primary emotion, whatever it is, jealousy, anger, embarrassment, whatever it is now that you're feeling. You know. So for that, the basic practice for me is always, and this is just, it's again and again, the simple exercise of awareness in the body, whether you practice awareness of the breath or the body posture, body sweeping, um, any kind of, of, of practice that brings your awareness into the body. It's not, I mean, you can practice for, an, for a, say, ulterior aim of, of, say, you can practice anapanasati in order to get concentrated on the breath or something. Sure, you can do those things with me. But the basic, is it, but the basic thing for me is really it's just a tool to bring awareness back to the body. And the more we practice it, the more gradually we're actually going to develop the capacity of doing that any time during life. We're just going to feel we are going to be more with our body, feeling our body. And that means when we, we're going to be more in touch with our emotions, with our fields in, you know, in the present moment. And that can very well mean that in, in the first and even later stages of practice, you might actually feel more negative emotions. So a sign of becoming more spiritual could well be that you actually feel more anger, feel more frustration, feel more jealousy. You know, just because you actually start to be less defended against those emotions, you actually start to learn actually to feel those more. You become more in touch with your emotions and maybe, little by little, less defensive. You know? More actually allowing those actually to be there rather than always adding something onto it. You know? First of all, maybe the denial goes and you say, well, actually, yes, I is anger. <laughs> Oops. Oh. And then maybe next thing, hopefully, maybe the judgment goes. It's not, oh, anger, so I'm wrong. No. It's not that it's wrong or it's right, it's just there. So we might as well deal with it. So then how do you deal with it? Well, we might try you know, all kinds of things, but in the end, whatever I think to me, where things become resolved is actually where we can come back just to the emotion and feel it. 
And that's not something that you learn through a certain kind of trick. You just learn through the fact of training yourself in the ability of just being with the body. And while you're just being with the body, just learning to just be with the body. And just be with how it feels, how it is now. So the more you learn that, say, in, on a meditation retreat, in a formal meditation, the more likely you're also going to be able to do that uh, when, whenever in your life, in a certain situation, an emotion comes up. A frustration comes up, and instead of going to the mind about, you know, getting caught into the story of just identifying with the frustration and believing what it tells you, or trying desperately to make the frustration go away by any means, you're just going to go right to the body and feel the frustration in the body and say, oh, frustration. Frustration, how interesting. So what is this about? So in order, if, in order to maybe ask yourself even those questions, first you're going to have to be able to learn to stay with the emotion in the body, you know, not add anything onto it, not to run away from it, not to act it out, just stay with it, feel it. Yeah, feel it in the body. You just, basically you just don't learn it through tricks, but just to practice by inclining, inclining the way and trusting that, that actually there is a possibility in which this is just all right. Emotions are not right, they are not wrong. An expression of our vitality, of, of our energy. You're always going to have some kind of emotions. Sometimes they're going to be pleasant, sometimes they're going to be unpleasant. But it's not the point that they always should be pleasant you know, or neutral or something. The point is to actually learn, to actually receive whatever is manifesting right now and not to create more suffering around it. So in the first place is always this kind of acceptance, which just means being with it. And I think this being with it, exactly we learn to an ever stronger increasing capacity of staying in your body with whatever kind of experiences it is. And then you can start to build on that. Well, then you can start to get into a, a relationship, a more skillful relationship with the emotions and feelings that you, that you experience in your body. You can start to investigate, ask yourself pertinent questions. You know, like, what is this actually that I'm feeling? What is it all about? You know, might have it, I might have an immediate habitual label. Oh, I'm, I'm angry. Oh, okay, okay. Angry. So what is it that I'm calling anger? What is it actually that I'm feeling in the body? I'm talking about I feel the anger in the body. Okay, if I try to feel anger in the body, what is it actually that I'm feeling? Where do I feel anger in the body? So really then... If, if we ask ourselves those kind of questions, it means we're inviting ourselves to actually listen into the body and listen more carefully. Try to be a bit more specific. Do, do I feel it in my knees? Probably not. But who knows? You know, we're all different. <laughs> no. Is it in the belly? Is it in the chest? What are my shoulders doing? How does my back feel about anger? No. Then if I, if I feel it in the body, I can ask questions about, well, is it, what, what is actually so difficult about the anger? Hmm. You know. uh, or what is under, maybe what is, what is, is there something that's underneath it? What holds it in place? Or is it maybe, I can ask myself, is it, is it actually all right to be with this right now? Uh, you know, the way at least I practice with this, if I ask myself those kind of questions, I keep as a basic practice the awareness in the body. So I use the mind to ask those hopefully skillful questions, but I ask them into that space, as it were. I'm, I'm, I'm asking the body. I'm asking that awareness of the body. You know, what, has a, what has the body to say about that? So not to go back into the mind, you know, so then you start with your stories again. You know, 
What is so difficult about it? Oh, yeah, it is because she said this and that, and she always says that. No, no, no. no okay, well, that's, you know, you're running off with some stories again, things that you're, you're just repeating. No. no, but asking into the feeling, what in the body, what feels actually so difficult around that? No? Patiently asking questions in a way that bring you back in touch with the feeling of the emotion in the body in an investigative way so that you feel maybe perhaps a bit more about it, a bit more subtle, a bit maybe underlying things, and maybe be being prepared and, and willing to receive responses, answers, um, that you didn't expect. You know? Is it actually okay to be with, with this right now? Oh, hmm, yeah, actually it is okay. Didn't think that. So what, how is it actually okay to be with this like that? What makes it okay? Uh, interesting. Oh, what makes it okay? Well, um, it could be like you're asking yourself, say, with anger or something. If you investigate a bit, okay, I feel something in the belly. feels a bit like, well, no, it feels tight maybe, and feels maybe a little bit like a nausea or something. Chest, who knows, maybe some constriction. Shoulders, maybe you feel tense. There's no reason. What about the back or something? Oh, the back feels all right. Oh. So then you say, well, the legs feel all right. Interesting. So I, I, mean, I can be actually, when I'm angry, I can still be in touch with some parts of my body which don't feel angry. My knees don't feel angry. Interesting. So I already know there's, there's more in me than just the anger, isn't it? Already I've got some space around it. No? So then if I actually bring some attention to my legs and maybe to my back, then I feel, all oh, right, the anger is still there, but it feels somehow I've got a bit, a bit kind of a container around it in which it feels somehow contained. And that somehow makes it feel all right. So I feel I can kind of... I can kind of handle it somehow. So the more then we learn to just in this way, to just actually be with an emotion, to make space for it, we can investigate it this way. And we can maybe also then get a feeling for that capacity, you know, of being just aware of our experience. And that to me is this, 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 this magic that happens, this cultivation of mindfulness, this attention, this just just starting to actually become aware of this capacity itself. Now, it can be very abstract for us if, if, if we just out of you know, an intellectual apprehension, we just learn that, okay, uh, whatever you experience, because you can be aware of it, obviously there's, you are more than just the experience, and the awareness is only aware. The awareness doesn't, and it's fairly obvious, if you look at it, think about it, awareness is just aware of the experience. So it's not judging the experience. It doesn't make a problem out of it. So in awareness, you can always find some peace. But, you know, if you just pick up the idea, it might sound very good, very interesting. But we might not be able at all to apply that in, in our life because we don't have any tangible kind of refuge in awareness, not any tangible kind of experience of awareness. It might just be very... Mm, doesn't have any substance to it. It's just an idea. But if you cultivate awareness of the body and actually come gradually to an, to an increased capacity of just being with the body, then we can actually tangibly also be aware if we, if we just stay with the body over a period of time, well, there is something that stays with the body over some time, isn't it? That just stays present. And that is awareness. the more we become aware of that awareness itself, then also 
you know, with difficult emotions. It can become a, it can become first you know a reference, and the more that kind of spiritual muscle, if you like, it's exercised, it becomes a refuge. Then we actually really, it's not just an idea. We notice, oh, there is fear, maybe. And I said, okay, fear, what is fear? Ah, I bring the awareness to the body. And that moment we've got it, we've got it actually, we've got it grounded in our experience. We've got it kind of, kind of stabilized. We've got some handle on it, isn't it? Ah, it's there. I've got, so then we've got a relationship to it. And then we can, what is it actually that has a relationship to it? Ah, no, there's awareness of fear in the body. Now then I can start to relate to this awareness and actually start to get a feeling that awareness, that awareness is like a space that you've got around it. It's that awareness that can notice fear constricts my breathing, constricts my chest, constricts my belly. No, but it doesn't do any to anything to my knees, usually. Well, maybe, you know, if I'm standing, then I might get wobbling my knees. But if I say, if I'm if I'm sitting here, then usually, say, you know, I'm getting nervous, usually my knees, my legs are all right. Now, if I'm aware of my body, my whole body, I feel the manifestations of fear, maybe in the chest, and nervousness in the belly. But at the same time, I can actually relate to my legs and the contact to the floor. Then I'm aware of something more. And then, then I get a very tangible feeling of there's more, there's space around this experience of, of fear, nervousness, anger, anything. And I can I can then focus. I can get a some pl- some platform or something where to stand on, where to base kind of my awareness, my center, from which then I can start to relate to that emotion. I can start to actually make some space for it, and then I can start to investigate it and maybe do what needs doing, what might be useful to relax some of it. You know, if I can stay, say, with my spine, just the center of uprightness in my spine, uh, or the or the skeleton, just feeling you know the, the structure of the body sitting here, and then the chest. And the belly is doing all kinds of kind of funny things that I don't find very uh, comforting or reassuring. But feeling the structure of my body, you know, shoulders, back, you know, the, the spine, the hips, the, the, you know, the legs, the bones, sitting, the solidity. Well, that can feel reassuring at the same time as this other thing is going on. So then I have a place from which I can relate to this. You know? And then, so then I can hold this and say, ah, okay, so what might be helpful? And then I might think, well, maybe just... Keep breathing, you know. This is a very good one with fear, you know. Just keep breathing. And you just, it's just a physical thing like that. And suddenly, oh, okay, when I, mean, I keep breathing, actually this threatening aspect of fear actually starts to kind of relax a bit. That's just an example. Mm. Whenever we can do that, you know, whenever then when an emotion that's difficult, that maybe our natural tendency, our habit would be to try to get away from, in some way or another, with whatever strategies we might have developed, comes up, and we can actually not follow that impulse, but take that as a reminder, oh, now just be present, be in your body, and feel this. It's not wrong. No, it's there because of reasons, of conditions that bring that up, and it's worthwhile to actually make space for it, to feel this, so that I can actually learn from this and can maybe start to learn what is it, what is that conditioning that brings it into play, what are the ways in which I can relax it, and what happens if I actually can relax. You know, when, when I'm in the middle of, of fear and I actually manage to, to, to actually relax some of the things that I do that reproduce this fear, that keep it in place, you know, something will change necessarily in the way in which we experience our energy and therefore the way we feel, the way we feel our emotion. And that might start to feel just 
overwhelming and very alive. And maybe that's, that might even be a way where we don't feel, oh, you know, that's why I'm putting actually limitations on that. Maybe I feel I'm not actually, who, not able to actually um, hold all this energy that's, 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 that's buried underneath there. But every time we learn that, every time we can do that, we can actually develop a little bit more confidence that there is a different possibility. I don't just have to act out in motion. I don't have to run away from it either. I don't have to deny it. I don't have to repress it. I don't have to believe it. I can just feel it and stay in the body. And that's, in my experience, where actually sometimes just very little by little, slowly, sometimes unexpectedly, very, very suddenly, in a big way, things can actually be transformed just by being able to stay with the experience and not acting out of that experience, but rather being more able to just be, as it were, your own, the, own, the holding space for your experience. You know, I think that's actually in the end is, is what seems to go all the way. Uh, that's in my understanding what Ajahn Chah was talking about when he was talking about um, the mind being like still flowing water. The emotions, the feeling, that's like the, that's like the flowing of the water. The emotions is what motivates us, what makes us move. It's like, this, it's like the stream, it's like the torrent. And if, if you don't have any holding capacity, if you go in there, it just carries us away with it. That energy. That's our often our standard experience, feeling carried away by our emotions. But awareness is that element of, of the stillness, you know, the still flowing water. You know, that's the, the more we can learn through awareness in the body to just stay with that flow, stay in that flow. We're not going to carry it away with it. Then we can just allow it to flow through. At the same time, just keep just experiencing you know, our presence with the emotions, whether they are beautiful or whether we label them as beautiful or whether we, we, we incline to label them as threatening. And there, there's this, there's this possibility of freedom, you know, which, is, which is freedom from creating suffering uh, on top of the way it, how it feels to be here right now, you know, suffering out of our emotions, adding anything onto it, but the freedom to feel our emotions more completely, whatever they are. When we can feel our emotions and the way it feels how to be here without any limitations, that means without adding anything onto it, without defending ourselves in any way against it, you know, then it means we, there's, there's a very tangible part of us that is not moved by it. They can just move through. So you're not threatened by them. 